0: Welcome to I've Made a Huge Mistake in Arrested Development Podcast. I am your host, Darren. Today, I am joined by uh, Michael M. Raider. Um, Hello. And you are from the... I'm going to let you say it.
1: <laughs> uh, I am from the WINGS podcast, a very sincere WINGS podcast.
0: About the TV show WINGS?
1: Yes, about the television show WINGS. Uh, I just recorded my 15th episode uh, and I do not let any of the guests know that they are going to be on a Wings podcast. It's
0: great. <laughs> great stuff. And also I have Jesse Whitehead. Uh, hello, Jesse.
2: young, And uh, you may
0: be familiar with Jesse if you've listened to podcasts that I've edited in the past because he was a guest on an episode of Stage of Fools. I can't remember which episode you were on. I think um, it was uh,
2: like somewhere towards the end of season two.
0: Yeah, things get crazy in season two of, uh, of the Royals. Um, so if you want to hear that, you can listen to that um today's episode is uh episode six of season two afternoon delight it was broadcast on the 19th of december 2004 which is quite appropriate because it is a christmas episode there's not a great deal of kind of christmas stuff in it aside from the being a christmas party um which isn't even really that christmassy (laughs) kind of like the decorations are a bit kind of fake there's no kind of tree um and uh there 's a lot of kind of um Christmassy type music throughout. I think David Schwartz has kind of does a good job of kind of making it feel a bit seasonal, even though it 's not like kind of super heavy it 's written by Abraham Higginbotham, who uh, is known to people as Gary um, who uh, sat on job 's lap as he tried to demonstrate that the chair uh was giving out. Um, he mm-hmm. he is the poof that uh, Job apparently wanted to get into, uh, or at least that's what Gary thought as he as he walked past the office. And Chuck Martin. Chuck Martin has written a number of episodes. I've spoken about him quite a lot before. And the episode is directed by Jason Bateman. I think this is the only time that a cast member directs an episode of Rested Unlimited. I can't recall another time when any of the other cast members decide to direct an episode. Um, and it's surprising because it is quite heavy on um Michael he is he's like really featured in this episode he's it's not like Jason Bateman gave himself an easy job and kind of took the week off or something or sent Michael um somewhere abroad he, he he's he's in quite a lot of the episodes um so um and I'm going to give you the summary of the episode uh as I found it on IMDb and it is this While Buster looks for ways to get out of serving in Iraq Lindsay's quest to score a date at the Blue Company Christmas party backfires after Job's sexual harassment speech. Michael and may be getting in trouble singing Afternoon Delight, but are quickly overshadowed by Oscar and Lucille's Afternoon Delight. Yeah, so th- that's kind of what the episode is about. Most of it will revolve around the Christmas party um, and uh, some karaoke with uh, with an ill advised choice from, uh, from Michael. Um, but before we get into that, I just want to ask each of you, and I'm going to start with uh jesse uh when did you start watching arrested development did you watch it when it was on fox did you catch it on dvd or were you a latecomer and you only found out about it last week
2: Uh, i watched some of it when it originally aired when it first aired was right in the middle of uh, my college years and so there was a lot of stuff going on in my life and dvrs hadn't really hit the market yet so i would catch it You know, if it was on and I was home, but ultimately I I did not have a chance to really watch all of it, and then eventually around 2007, I just bought all the DVDs and sat down and and binged all of them, and that was a delight.
1: Uh, So I did not get to watch it in this time. I actually had no means of watching anything on Fox uh, in the earlier 2000s, so I did not come to Arrested Development until 2007 uh this was act- afternoon delight was actually my very first episode, and I saw it on g four t v uh when I was supposed to be studying for
0: a physics exam and it was great <laughs> um okay well, let's get into this episode then um at this particular point, it's worth mentioning that michael is um not the president he's he's still kind of job is still the president and michael is kind of um on the side. Um, and we start with the banana stand being retrieved from the bay. Uh, apparently this is an annual holiday tradition <laughs> where the local youth throw it into the bay and then it gets pulled out. You know, Michael is trying to track down George Michael so that he could share the holiday tradition of rebuilding the banana stand. And it's worth noting there is actually a a very kind of um, uh, uh, very hard kind of like background joke hiding um, which is on the stand. It says, um, "I will get you, Bluth," and it's signed, "Hello," um, which, as we know, is oh, of course huh. Anyong's real name. Anyong. Mm-hmm. Wow,
1: that uh, yeah. They
0: so they had yeah. a plan that far back. What well, well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of you. Kind of can't really see it because it's kind of like graffiti. Um, but once once you spot it, then it's it's quite a funny joke um uh it's worth noting as well that um kind of Anyong is absent for kind of like a stretch of season two he's kind of there at the beginning mm-hmm. and then he's kind of missing and he doesn't actually return until almost the end of season three
1: now is he at the milford academy during that time he's
0: i is I, that I, why he's not I, seen I think hurt? in like two episodes time they say he's at the milford academy it, as punishment for something yeah it is mm.
2: it, at, in this episode uh there's a whole exchange about um uh, uh you adopted a oh, child oh it's this episode yeah yeah and she says i did that to yeah. teach buster a lesson and then he asks well where is your adopted child and she said well, i sent him to the milford academy to teach him a lesson but i can't remember what it was <laughs> yeah
0: he will he will appear back in season 3 where he'll be in the walls of the uh the Bluth apartment mm-hmm. and then he will he will he will turn up at the end to tell everyone what his real name is uh which is hello um but hello <laughs> on that day yeah so um it's it's quite funny that they they kind of almost plan that this far back, but you know that's to be expected. Um, and Job has has taken to wearing um, George Senior's suits, uh, his namesake suits, and um, you know he says that he's filling Dad's shoes, literally. <laughs> Except the shoes don't fit. But I did finally get into Dad's pants, although I had to have the crotch taken a little bit. <laughs> so, I I love how he's kind of he's. Trying to fill his father's role, but he's kind of, uh, you know, not able to do it. um And then, of course, we find out that that he's been wearing these expensive suits. Although, uh, I'm never hundred percent sure if this is the same suit, and he just keeps exaggerating the amount that it's worth.
1: That's what I, I always off... I'm pretty was. sure it's the same. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, because... Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, one suit.
0: Throughout yeah. the episode, as Job is more confident, the amount goes up. And then when he gets less confident, the amount it's worth goes down. I have noted here um. that there are eight different prices he's given for the suit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he starts off in quick succession, giving examples, saying that he should spill he should spill some on his $3,000 suit. Come and on. And then he goes... Okay, oh, hey. yeah, the guy in the, the $4,000 suit is holding the elevator, but the guy doesn't make that in three months. Come on! Of course, he just goes into the men's room and says... Oh, well I just take a win through this five thousand dollar suit. Come on, and I love how the come on is delivered by Job in the present day right. as kind of a little bit more relaxed because he's like so he's relating the anecdote and, and yeah, he's just like come on and i I just kind of love how it continues from the kind of the, him building up saying come on in in the in flashback mm-hmm. and this is where we find out that at the Blue Christmas party they used to roast George senior. Um, because they thought he had a sense of humor, <laughs> which, I love michael 's <laughs> phrasing of that, and of course, Job says nobody laughed louder than me at any joke about Dad, which of course illustrates the point that Michael is making that people didn 't really uh you know george senior didn 't really enjoy it and then obviously <laughs> we get to we get introduced here to Tom um I, th- I believe this is the the kind of the only episode he 's in in the original run, um but he does return mm-hmm. um in season four. Uh, where he moves into Southern Valley and there's a certain implication about his character uh, but here he's just basically um, making a joke about how George has been into the kitty um, and of course Job starts laughing at that very loudly and uh, jo- George Sr. leans over to Michael and says, fire Tom and get your jackass brother out of here and I, I like how Tom being fired in the flashback comes back in the later on in the episode where he, when he's forced to give a speech again he he thanks um he thanks michael for hiring him back <laughs> so obviously tom is the one who knows how disastrously these christmas parties can go i love his desperate
1: attempts to say nice things about uh about job later in the episode
2: well, i just i like the uh the get your jackass brother out of your comment because it just sort of further's the narrative that Neither parent likes Job at all. My my <laughs> no, favorite they, joke they from they this do entire not. series, going all the way back to the pilot, and you know, my favorite line of all time: "I don't care for Job."
0: Yes. <laughs> uh, now I just want to quickly mention that uh, Tom Sanders, um, who appears here as Tom, um, <laughs> obviously, you know, uh, very original naming there. He was a writer for um, Arrested Development. Um, that's why he kind of plays this role. Um and he was also a writer for News Radio and uh Just Shoot Me. Um and uh before that he was a uh writer on a couple of episodes of Larry Sanders, so um he's actually, you know, quite a good uh T V writer. Um who who kind of willingly steps into the role here of playing uh, of playing the kind of hapless employee. And we find out that <laughs> the Bluth Christmas party is as terrible to attend as any other of the Bluth parties. Uh, And maybe is annoyed to find out that she's not going to be invited. And, of course, Lindsay says... Oh, honey, of course you can go if you want to. And, uh... Maybe says, Thanks, Mom. And she goes,
2: No, you're not going to that. You see, if I shop with you, it'll just make me seem like I'm a
0: mother. And maybe, of course, says, <laughs> I've never thought of you that way. Never thought of you as a mother. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, once again, this the relationship between Maybe and Lindsay is quite fun. Um, But I Mm -hmm. I like how um, it establishes right from the beginning of the episode, you know, there's a disconnect between Michael and George Michael, because obviously George Michael is spending a lot more time with Anne. And now we have this disconnect here between maybe and Lindsay. Um, So, yeah. And I think that's also about the same moment
1: uh, where we have her say that when people think of Tobias, they think of a big black guy. And he says, well, obviously, I'm not a big guy. Uh, which is another one of those (laughs) hints that he is actually a black man
0: with albinism. Yes, uh, something, something... That never kind of really gets put, brought up properly in the show, but is kind of hinted at a few times, and that is one of the occasions yes
2: you know there's also that moment where uh, he mentions Carl Weathers and Lindsay says, "Oh, Carl, is he single?" And David Cross gives this <laughs> wonderful sort of wounded look, and it only lasts for about you know a second of a shot, but it's so funny and this
0: is where we get uh, Michael um, kind of doing doing what he has a habit of doing whenever anyone talks about Anne. Uh, which is hearing a word that is one syllable and using that to say instead of and. And this is where we find out that, um, it, like in the flashback, we saw that, that George, Michael and Michael uh, were basically not having any fun at the Christmas party. They were just kind of standing around. Uh, and this time Michael promises that they, they might even snatch a gift from the charity barrel, which doesn't sound <laughs> like a thing you would want to do. Surely that barrel is for people who need the charity rather than um, for the, the kind of, president of the company um, and I love how uh, George Michael kind of, uh, almost really kind of blows it off, this is kind of the most dismissive that I've seen him be with his father where he says, Anne's parents are having their party on Bethlehem time um, so maybe I can make an appearance and I love how Michael's like make an appearance,
1: uh, uh, no no it's 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 okay, uh, you be with him,
0: <laughs> 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 and of course George Michael instantly corrects to, it's Anne and he's like, uh, it's good, have fun i i I like kind of i it's weird because i I, you don't really see george michael stand up to michael that often um so it's kind of unusual that um that he does this like like so kind of forcefully at this point not that forcefully really but for george michael this is uh this is kind of like a big rebellion to be like i'm only going to make an appearance at a christmas party and this is where michael goes to the attic and george is kind of like um Are we having yams? (laughs) I love how this kind of passing mention of yam has ended up kind of um, doing this. And this is where we find out that George Sr., um, he didn't want to make a stink. um, (laughs) Where he says, uh, believe me, I thought when your first wife was driving us apart, I did not make a stink. And Michael says, you complained all the time and she was my only wife and she died. And George Sr. explains, well, things have a way of working themselves out.
2: This, to me, has always been one of the strangest elements of Arrested Development, is the fact that Michael's dead wife is never, ever used for any kind of real emotion. She's only a punchline.
0: <laughs> That's true. I mean, she had, there have been a couple of occasions where, you know, um, George Michael has talked about his mother and they've used it kind of emotionally. But mm-hmm. whenever it's George Sr. and Michael talking about, um, you know, his widower status, basically... It's always played off as a joke, um, and this is where we. This is where the kind of the the cut scene or the extended scene would have fit, which is where um, George says that um, uh, Lucille sounds tense um, after he asks Michael to put her on speakerphone, and she just kind of screams about there being a break in, um, and, and George kind of diagnoses that she's not getting any from his brother Oscar. Um, and in the cut scene, you know, he, he, he says that sex was the only thing that calmed her down and, uh, Michael's like, well, she was never calm. And George senior says, well, I always calmed down first, <laughs> which is kind of not really an appropriate now, conversation to be having <laughs> with, uh, with Michael. Do you suppose that that
1: scene was cut for time or content? Since I feel like a lot of this episode was already pushing it a lot, uh, I just am curious which uh, which was the stronger incentive for them to cut that.
0: I, I mean, I guess content would probably make it, you know, I think that would probably really make sense. Um, but I, I mean, I, like, I, I, I guess in terms of making the joke land, I think the whole point is that it's meant to be about Lucille and Oscar rather than mm-hmm. sure. Lucille and George Sr. So I think keeping those extra lines in um, kind of makes it more about George Sr. than it does Oscar. Um, Or even Lucille So I I guess maybe they kind of cut that out Just to keep the focus on You know, what's going on with Lucille
2: Yeah, I I don't know if it would have been content Because this show got away with So much, I mean One of the main characters is lusting after his own cousin for the entire run of the show. Oh no,
1: I know. I just feel like this episode itself was already pretty... I mean, it it seemed a little bit more than usual as a very (laughs) incest-heavy episode. Yes,
0: yeah. The inappropriateness of the karaoke does kind of give this whole episode a certain Mm flavour. Um, And this is where we find out once Michael goes over, we find out that the break in was probably just Lucille getting angry and throwing something through the window, which is how I read it. Uh, Although she she kind of definitely she kind of makes out like there might have been someone trying to break in. And she says, I have a surprise for whoever it is when he comes back.
1: First, I blow him. Then I poke him. Um,
0: (laughs) He doesn't know what he's in for. No, and this is where we try to figure out where Oscar is, and apparently he's on a 420-mile walk from Newport Beach to Berkeley. Obviously, the 420 miles being quite significant there for Oscar. Um, <laughs> and I love how they, the, the, they they show on the map that um, in the 12 years he's attempted it, he's never made it past UC Irvine, which is <laughs> kind of basically just down the road. Yeah. <laughs> um, Although, of course, this is the first time that he would have attempted this from Balboa Towers, because normally he would be on his Lemon Grove. So, um, I don't know where his Lemon Grove is located. Maybe it's located close enough to Balboa Towers that they didn't bother changing it on the map. Mm -hmm. But obviously Lucille just says that it's an excuse to score pot and waggle his pickle at (laughs) coeds, which is a kind of delightfully kind of terrible... Um, you know, thing. And then Lucille suggests something odd, which is she says that she wants Michael to move in with her. And I love Jason Bateman going, What?
1: No. No.
0: No. 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 <laughs> <laughs> a different emphasis on no each time.
1: It was it a was really wide range.
0: And this is where we find out that, uh, you know, he uh, <laughs> has been sent to uh, Milford Academy to be taught a lesson. Um <laughs> Now, I'm guessing that that happened after he destroyed the banana stand and threw it into the the ocean. I'm kind of curious how he
1: even did that. I mean, he's a rather small child, and that's a particularly large task.
0: I mean, I think maybe he just graffitied it and there were other youths around who threw it in for oh, him. Oh, true, true. I don't think he necessarily did everything. We find out, of course, that Buster is off to his army training. So I'm guessing at this particular point he's really in the army. I can never quite work out... <laughs> Um, <laughs> if he's actually in the army or if he's not in the army, um, it's it's mm-hmm. kind of it's very hard to uh, to figure it out. Sometimes is this where he's on the bench and it says arm off?
2: Oh uh, no, bench? that's yeah, that yeah, hasn't it happened is. quite yet.
1: Or oh, no, wait, I, I this thought is it was this is when he one. gets. Oh no! But there's a hint that it's going to happen because he's sitting on a bench, and you see the words
0: "arm off."
2: But you now this is when he gets distracted by uh, the claw machine.
0: Mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. the claw is a call forward to the uh, to him losing his hand. Um, the fact that he right gets and also, also it. there's
1: a seal, which is a call forward to loose seal. The loose
0: seal, yes, indeed. So there are a few call mm-hmm. forwards to what's going to happen with Buster uh, in a few episodes' time, um, and uh, <laughs> the bus driver. Can't change a hundred dollar bill, which says all you need to know about the blues. The fact that he's catching the bus, but he he can't change the the dollar bill, uh, and obviously because he's only got a hundred on him, this is where he ends up getting change. Um, and I mean, what the, would that be? Four hundred quarters he gets in the change. Yeah, I
2: don't
1: think change machines take <laughs> yeah. hundreds. They
0: cap out yeah. of twenty usually. Yeah, I well, I mean obviously it just works for the for the whole gag of of his entitlement.
1: But yeah, I I, I just well, I think and I don't know how they do things in California, big city,
0: yeah, liberal. This is this is Orange County as well, which is notoriously wealthy. So, I'm guessing they must have $100 change machines okay. in in there. Mm-hmm. Um so basically he's going to end up playing like 400 games on the claw machine, I think. <laughs> um to use up all that change. Um, and then we find out that 20 yards away... And he comes back with three... Oh, yeah, no, he, yeah, even though he's got, like, $100, $100 in change, he only comes back with, with three wins. So That sounds about right for yeah. a game. Um, and 20 yards away, Michael is repairing the banana stand, and this is where he, um, he maybe kind of crosses paths with him. Um, and I love... Um, her sentence where she says,
2: My mom signed me out of school early, so then she wouldn't have to pick me up later, so then she wouldn't be late for the Christmas party.
0: And of course, Michael's like, That's about the worst thing I've ever heard. And maybe says,
2: I had to drive because she had a little bit of a buzz on. And Michael goes, No, that's it. (laughs) There does seem to be this sort of game that the writers are playing of how horrible a mom can they make Portia de Rossi.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, however horrible they make her, she's never as horrible as Lucille. That's true. So that's the thing is, you know, Lucille, even in this episode, Lucille refers to Maybe's chubby arms. And that's just in <laughs> passing. Like, so Lucille can be casually horrible without even thinking about it. But
2: I, yeah, she's got it down to an art form.
0: <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite pairings of Bluffs is maybe and Michael. And it's rare that we actually get them together, like sharing a storyline. Um, you know, the in the season 1 we had the uh, take your daughter to work day where he he ended up taking maybe rather than george michael um because george michael was no longer a pretty little girl um and um obviously we get them together in this episode and uh i can't even really think of any time in season 3 where they they kind of share a storyline it's it's like very rare that they actually uh, get put together obviously in the episode amigos they shared some time coming back from mexico in the uh, In the stair car which has the, which has the great interaction where they 're both talking about a completely different person, and yet they seem to be thinking that they 're talking about the same people, but I just <laughs> love the kind of uh, chemistry if if that is the right word that Jason Bateman has um, with alia Shawkat. I just think they really work well as a team um, because obviously maybe is so blase and kind of half hearted about mm-hmm. everything. And Michael is very kind of driven, um, even more, I would say, than George Michael. So it kind of works as a little bit of a kind of echo of the relationship between George Michael and Mm. and maybe.
1: And they have the same kind of sense of humor and they're both in on the
0: joke uh, in a way that a lot of other characters aren't. And they both hate Anne is the unifying feature in this particular (laughs) episode. (laughs) They both hate a character who has been up to this point described as Egg. Uh, bland plant. I mean, they really. I think in the previous episode or the next episode, she's described as wall. Uh, basically, they, she's described as having no personality in any way, and yet both uh, Michael and maybe seem to find a lot of um, things to hate about Anne. <laughs> and of course, the, the, the pairing also leads to them being um, very mischievous, uh, because as they get to the, they go to the the office to see if the, you know, the party. Needed any help. Uh, this is where we get the end of a, a very clever joke where Job says... $6,300 suit! Come on! And obviously we'll get the, the first <laughs> half of that swear word actually later in the episode. And if you put them back together, it's uncensored. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the rare occasions where uh, that is possible. Yeah, they got away with a lot Yes, of this episode. and um, of course I like that Job like seems to hate maybe... Because he's like, what's she doing here? <laughs> maybe just goes, Merry Christmas to you too, uh, Uncle Job. <laughs> and I, I think that that's probably where like the idea for them to start sticking things to his suit uh, kind of <laughs> comes from. Is that is like the fact that, that Job is right. immediately horrible to maybe means that she's immediately plotting her revenge. I just want to say how much I love Will Arnett in this next moment where... After they kind of have a discussion about (laughs) kids' sticky little fingers all over these $2,600 pants, Um, you know, Michael says, You think they're going to go for the pants? And then Joe goes,
2: Okay, Come okay, okay, So should, 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 should,
0: should, should, yes! should, should, <parawe tended noise> <traveled> in <India> should, shut- <persongano> <down. laughs> and, and he just kind of has this breakdown where he keeps just saying the word should over and over again. And Michael just kind of goes, okay, we'll do it your way. I'm just here to have fun. And kind of like calms him down, basically. Um, <laughs> and I love that that's like, that's not even Michael like making a joke where he's like roasting him. It's just like a casual kind of observance. Job has... so such a breakdown just (laughs) with the repetition of should um and Will arnett just does it so beautifully it's like his kind of gradual kind of hysteria is timed like so perfectly um uh, in that little that little kind of bit um and then obviously we we flash back to the (laughs) the sexual harassment speech which is another kind of tour de force from will arnett oh my god (laughs) where he's Mm -hmm. He kind of explains what he doesn't want people to do, and I don't know that I can do it any justice because I can't figure out half the words that have been bleeped. Please refrain from discussing or engaging in any sort of interoffice <laughs> or s <laughs> or fingering
1: <laughs> or fing
0: <laughs> or eating <laughs> or even <laughs> even though so many people in this office are begging for it. And if anybody <laughs> does anything with my sister Lindsay. I'll take off my pants. I'll shave. And I'll personally. I love that whole speech. It's just so kind of, and all of the employees gradually getting more and more kind of like worried as the speech goes on and kind of out, kind of, of, none of them seem to know how to react to exactly what Joe is saying. Um, And I just love it. It's really a, it's
1: really a great moment of censorship because there is no uh vulgarity that could actually match <laughs> what you imagine it is uh, because of the bleeping. Yeah. Uh,
2: this was a show that was like expert at sort of the perfectly timed bleep sound.
0: And also it's worth noting that every time Will Arnett says something, there's a person's head in the way of his mouth. So you can't even lip read <laughs> To see what he's like, every single time he says the camera keeps moving around and it keeps framing it so that whenever he says a word, someone's is in the way. Um, and that once again is kind of like the, the kind of the, the, the style of the, the show. Uh, but also, you know, Jason Bateman is directing that. And I think he kind of he does the, the, the kind of handheld style really well uh, in that scene.
2: That's not so surprising, I guess, that uh, an actor directed an episode because that happens a lot. In television, on long-running shows, mm-hmm. actors will eventually learn how to direct, and they'll direct episodes, and they go on to just direct a lot of television throughout the rest of their career. That happens a lot, especially with Star Trek actors.
0: Yeah, Valana mm-hmm. Torres has made a, a habit of just directing tons and tons of TV. If you look at what she's done in the last... Yeah, Roxanne Dawson. Yeah, if you look at what she's... I, I prefer to her, refer to her by her married name, of Roxanne Biggs Dawson. Um, but if you if you if you look at her career, you'll see that for the last like fifteen years, all she's done is direct TV episodes. Uh, yeah, it is a common thing. But like I said, this is the only time I can recall a cast member actually directing an episode of Arrested Development, and obviously it has such a very specific style that the Russo brothers set up in the pilot with Mitch Hurwitz that I, I guess it might be hard for some people to kind of just learn that single camera style because it's not really like uh, you know how other sitcoms were being done at the time. Um and then obviously um <laughs> Job decides to start the party right now, just because he can. Uh and I like that David Schwartz has come up with this kind of like disco song which is called Everybody Dance Now. Um and I love how Job starts playing it and it just starts kind of with the refrain of Everybody Dance Now and then Job leans into the microphone and he's like, Everybody dance now <laughs> and people just have to get up in their cubicles <laughs> and just start dancing. Huh. Uh, and I love how Michael goes, oh, I think we're off to a great start. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and it is kind of nice. Yeah, that's a really great episode for
0: Will Arnett. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, considering that Jason Bateman's behind the camera, he really puts the focus on Will Arnett. Mm-hmm. And and he does so many great kind of mm-hmm. things. Um, I, I, it's also nice to see that um, Michael is actually quite relaxed. You know, he's not wearing a suit. He's not that concerned about the business. He's just kind of going around the party, kind of like talking to people. Uh, him and maybe start putting stuff on joe's suit um which is just like a wonderful (laughs) bit of business as they kind of just kind of hiding behind him putting things on the on the suit
2: they seem to mostly be sticking candy to the back of his jacket
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i I think they just basically want to have like those two characters want to have fun obviously you know Lindsay doesn't want maybe to be there so that's why she's gone to the party uh, and Michael is is actually relaxing for the first time ever in the entire run of the show that I know of. And, you know, Lucille arrives <laughs> and the the liquor has been stolen, and we find out that uh, Job was the one who um had gone by Balboa Towers and had taken it. And this is this is when we get the thing where he says,
1: uh No well. I wanna spill booze all over my
0: And that's the first half of the uh the, the hidden swear word there. <laughs> Yeah, we get it. Yeah, um, and then you know, uh, <laughs> Lucille protests that she's all alone, um, but Michael says the buster is only stationed five miles away, but obviously he isn't even stationed five miles away because he's been playing the skill crane all day, uh, and he's missed his first day of army. Um, and then when he re- <laughs> when he returns home, um, you know, Lucille thinks that uh, he's he's a coward. And um, he shows the awards from Army. Uh, and he says... That,
2: Which is my second favorite line mm-hmm. from the entire mm-hmm. series. These
1: are my awards, Mother,
2: from Army.
1: <laughs> I, all, I mean, that, that whole, the whole speech is great. The, the seals for marksmanship, the
0: gorillas for sand racing. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, Buster says, they're putting me in something called Hero Squad.
2: <laughs> Hero squad. Hero
0: squad. Yeah, I just love it, uh, and I love how Lucille says you have no idea what it's like to be abandoned by your son, and then Michael's like, "Do you see my son? He chose his girlfriend over me." And I don't know why Michael is like kind of so um, kind of angry at George Michael for having a girlfriend. I, I know he doesn't like Anne, but he just seem, this seems kind of disproportionate to um, you know Michael's relationship. Um, and then, obviously, uh, you know, uh, Lucille says, "Look who feels the sting of an ungrateful child," uh, which Michael says, uh, "You have to receive something to be ungrateful." I feel is <laughs> I, I like that um, that that Michael is probably the only uh, one of the 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 Bluth children who kind of matches Lucille in, t- in terms of like exchanging barbs, whereas I think Buster. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously he's completely cowed and Lindsay is being completely bullied. I think Michael is just the one who's who kind of just gives it straight back. He doesn't kind of take any kind of uh, nonsense from Lucille. Um, and of course, when Lucille uh, sees the drinks, she realizes that they've got her brands because they literally have her brands because <laughs> those are literally her drinks, uh, which I really like. And of course, Michael decides to send... I love this little bit of business here when when, you know, Tobias is... Uh, putting on the blue makeup. And it's actually been a couple of episodes since he's had the blue makeup on because he didn't have it in the the last episode and he didn't have it in the episode before that. Um, And we see him applying the the, the makeup, but he sees Michael's missed call as blue and he thinks that the, (laughs) as he exclaims, the blue men have called him. And so he goes through 101 unheard messages. And they're basically all Lucille just going, it's your mother, it's your mother, it's mother, it's mother, pick up. And I love the one where you hear her go, happy Thanksgiving. Like, <laughs> 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 just in the middle of all these messages. Um, and then obviously, you know, Tobias kind of uh, realizes that it's just Michael um, who's called. And he, he wants, he wants, I don't know why he chose Tobias to go over to, to his, his mothers. Because I don't think anyone really likes Tobias in the family. So <laughs> it seems like an odd choice. <laughs> but you know. It just works for the joke later on about the. Uh... They didn't need him for anything else. <laughs> yeah, it just works later on for the, the joke about the colour of his skin. I guess. Uh, and obviously mm-hmm. Lindsay. Mm-hmm. As she says she can't give it away. At the Christmas party. Because of the warning that Job gave. Um, no one wants to go near her. And I like that um, Ted. Um, who we've met in a couple of episodes. Um, He says, this has been pleasant and professional. Good luck in the coming business year. (laughs) uh, It's just such a great, it's just such a great kind of exchange. And it's, it's worth pointing out that uh, Ted is played by uh, Charlie Hartsock. And we, we, we've met him a a few times in season one. Uh, In particular, he blew a whistle to let someone know that they uh, still hadn't given back their whistle. (laughs) Uh, which is kind of like a, a delightful joke, um, and you know he's uh, he's basically he he started in um, Second City, and um, you know he he does acting and writing and directing. So um, you know uh, I think he's he's quite a funny character because you know the Bluth employees are notoriously incompetent, and I think Ted kind of embodies how incompetent they are most of the time. And then you know, as Lindsay is walking around, she sees that uh, maybe and uh, and Michael are having some fun sticking things to Job, and they basically they basically shoo her away so that they continue can continue having fun, um, and you know we we get here a a flashback to um, George Michael's um, Christmas party, um, and, and I like how George Michael goes. Um, it was good. They're kind of religious and parents. So yeah, uh, it was just kind of, and the narrator says the word George Michael was searching for
2: was creepy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I, I, I mean, I can't quite understand what this religion is now later on the appearance of, um, pastor Terry Veal will kind of contradict this kind of ultra religious thing, because I think mm-hmm. he's not quite as religious and he's certainly not singing in German um, or, or having kind of like <laughs> stuff happening on Bethlehem time. He just seems to be like a normal kind of pastor. Um, but th-
1: I have to say, as someone who was raised in small, weird Baptist churches in rural <laughs> Nebraska, at uh, this moment really spoke to me. Uh, <laughs> the, this This all checked out. Completely.
2: I, I always figured it, that, that they were sort of going for sort of the, the in terms of creepy cult like stuff, they're going for sort of seventh day Adventists.
0: Exactly. Yeah. See, I I don't know what seventh day Adventists do, but uh, I'm guessing that if this well, is you're a, lucky. if this is an accurate <laughs> reflection of what they do, then I don't want to know. Um
1: They're very they're very gloomy, very obsessed with the apocalypse, um also Jewish law adhering to Jewish law
0: we we get to meet here only very briefly Uncle Paul um who decides (laughs) he's gonna put his arm around George (laughs) Michael so that he can kind of uh get in on the singing and all all through this scene I think this is the only appearance of Anne in the episode because obviously she's mostly spoken about as it kind of in the abstract um and (laughs) I like that kind of Mae Whitman is fully committed to singing in this very weird kind of like low voice in German (laughs) and just kind of really I I don't know I just I kind of I love how far she kind of goes with it and she really kind of commits to just Mm -hmm. singing so terribly this really depressing slow (laughs) German hymn
2: I always felt like Mae Whitman did not get enough credit for her comedy work on this show
1: agreed
0: yeah I think I think kind of she always plays everything so deadpan that it's very hard sometimes for people just to see that she's what she's doing because I think some of it just comes off as her doing very little uh but yeah she puts a lot of effort into kind of really shading um Anne um and you know it's a pity that's kind of only the little tiny bit that we get of Anne in this episode. and then Michael finds out that uh, through maybe that the they, they have a there is a karaoke, um, and Michael, <laughs> not bothering to check anything out, just says, "Put the first song on in the book." And I, I love that kind of his mistake <laughs> is just letting it go alphabetically. And uh, evidently, the first song that is in the book is "Afternoon Delight." Um, and then obviously, uh, you know, Michael kind of exchanges a few words with George Michael. Um, (laughs) I love how he says uh, they said I could leave for the second hour of silent prayer Uh, (laughs) like two hours of silent prayer Uh, yeah Uh, and I love how distracted Michael is as well because he's kind of talking to George Michael but then when maybe he's like Uncle Michael he's like okay I'll be right there and he just kind of uh, kind of leaves and he, he doesn't like this is kind of the least amount of attention I've seen him paying to George Michael um, other than any time George Michael mentions anything about maybe <laughs> um you know he no, he doesn 't hear any of that but uh and and then we get to what is probably the most memorable part of this episode, which is um afternoon delight uh, a song that I would like to say oh. was not really in the public consciousness until um I would say Anchorman kind of brought it back because that was like well it
2: was it was kind of always one of these these songs that, you know, people sort of remembered it for how catchy and terrible it was. So it was always kind of a a novelty hit.
0: Yeah. But, yeah.
2: Uh, I was just saying, uh, I remember in the movie uh, PCU from the 90s, uh, there's a joke where they lock all the uh, administration in a room and they leave uh, Afternoon Delight playing on a loop (laughs) until they all go mad.
0: Yeah. Um, Well, I mean, I guess... I'm trying to think of when Anchorman came out exactly um and I think it was probably just a, it was around the same time yeah, I think Yeah, I think it was probably only like a kind of like a, within the, the same kind of month um that it came out uh, but yeah it just kind of like was prominently suddenly back in the public consciousness uh at the end of um you know 2004 um I mean, Anchorman was actually mid-2004 and this episode was kind of like early 2000, uh, late 2004. So there's was kind of like a, a five-month okay. kind of gap. Um, but yeah, it's just odd that two different kind of prominent pieces of pop culture decided that Afternoon Delight mm-hmm. was, uh, you know, something that they should <laughs> touch upon. Um, and I love how... Uh, and they were right. <laughs> yeah, I love how enthusiastically as well it maybe gets into the song... Um, when it, when we get to see the line where she's uh, singing As Michael realizes how terrible the song is, she's she's still going Just as Michael's like trying to stop her and then she's singing
2: Yeah, I don't know that maybe ever figures it out how terrible it was <laughs> to
1: pick this song <laughs> It's going to be one of those moments she has to describe to a therapist several years down the line
0: Yeah um uh, i but i just I just love how um we see the kind of looks of horror upon all the different different members of the the Bluth company staff as they realize uh what's going on between this kind of uncle and and niece um and of course this is where where michael kind of he has to pull the plug very quickly and he decides it's time to go to uh the toasts uh and of course job says uh so let's toast me who's first Tom Uh, And obviously, Tom talks about how it's been a tough couple of years and and how he was happy to be hired back. And of course, uh, Job says, Talk about me. Which causes Tom to then go,
2: Oh, okay. Uh, You certainly do love
0: those suits. And then this is where Job says, Seven grand. You better believe I love them. And that's not quite the highest. I think there's one more price where he gets a little bit higher than that. But. Uh, you know the the rapidly more pricey suits um, and then obviously you know <laughs> Job then goes to touch his suit and he realises someone stuck something to his suit which of course causes everyone to start laughing um, and you know Tom tries to kind of steer it back and he says uh, I don't know him well but Job seems like he'd be a really smart boss which of course everyone starts laughing at he's like please don't laugh look he's a great magician and everyone starts laughing even harder um, and then of course Job just goes you, and then he <laughs> fires everybody <laughs> he fires the entire staff and then says Merry Christmas uh, in a very kind of Scrooge like move for Job here and then of course Michael comes back in and he's like I didn't know the lyrics where is everyone going and I just kind of <laughs> love how he seems to think everyone would kind of walk out based upon the lyrics to Afternoon Delight. Uh, and Ted takes this opportunity to ask is your sister still around Um, and obviously Lindsay (laughs) Lindsay had already left with with George Michael Um, and you know I kind of like this little scene here um, before they decide to do a second Christmas party where it's just kind of Job and Michael and Michael kind of making Job realise that if you fired everybody then there's Nobody else to teach a lesson to. (laughs) Job doesn't seem to have fully grasped (laughs) that concept. Um, And then obviously this is where the price of the suit starts to go down because he's like, uh, you know, (laughs) I love how he says, the guy who's dirty dancing with his niece is going to tell the guy in the $3,600 suit how to run a business. And he kind of has a deflated, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Like he can't drop that catchphrase. (laughs) Um and of course Michael lays out why they work so well together where he says, you know, maybe we're better off with me being business like and you being the good time useless party guy. And I like how he manages to slip that insult in to Job without Job really noticing that he's just called him useless. Um because Job <laughs> agrees and he says, It got us this far. Uh and of course, you know, Job says, I I miss the laughter. Oh god how they used to laugh with me. And Michael's like, at you. <laughs> Um, and I always love that Michael can't kind of let Job get away with anything. He always has to kind of correct him. Um, and then, you know, uh, he, Michael proposes a meeting, <laughs> but Job proposes a party. Um, and Job wants a party because he didn't get to have any fun. Um, uh, but considering this was a party that started with him basically yelling at the office that they had to start dancing and finished with him firing them. I don't think anyone got to have fun at that party. Um, you know, Job included. And then of course we get to the 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 second party, um uh, which is gonna be by the banana stand outdoors. Right. And then, you know, um <laughs> Lucille calls to to let uh, Michael know that a coloured man was in her kitchen. <laughs> and I like how Michael <laughs> spots that straight away and says, Coloured? What colour was he exactly? And Lucille says Blue. And this is where we actually, when uh, Tobias returns home, this is where we actually get some cruelty that would be kind of Lucille-like from Lindsay. Because Tobias, you know, he's got his head bandaged. Obviously, there's a chance that he might have a uh, concussion of some kind. So he's not meant to sleep. And he tells this to Lucille where he's like, uh, not Lucille, to Lindsay where he's like, I'm not meant to go to sleep. And Lindsay responds by lowering her voice and whispering so not to wake him. Uh, which is kind of a very Lucille move for her to do. Yeah, and of course uh, we find out that uh, Lucille is very tense. This is where she where she she takes the shot at maybe saying uh, she's got thick arms. Uh, and <laughs> hey, what about this one? She's got thick arms. <laughs> and then of course you know Michael suggests that she needs to calm down, and Lucille doesn't know how she's meant to calm down. Uh, and I love when Michael's like, how would you like to go on a road trip? And maybe he's like, no, I want to stay here. Let's go. <laughs> um, <laughs> and obviously they go to a, uh, a, a garage and they, they get some food and, and some gas. And um, this is where, you know, Michael's like, you're in charge of the radio. We're not stopping until we find Uncle Oscar. And maybe he's like, there he is. <laughs> <And> he literally <laughs> He literally hasn't gone anywhere yet. Uh, and I, it was a great moment in time <laughs> yeah and I I love the kind of um, the, the kind of misunderstanding that comes up here where Michael says that um, his mother is very stressed out and maybe he needs to give her some afternoon delight and the narrator explains mm-hmm. that Oscar thought Michael was referring to a particular brand of cannabis named afternoon delight uh, spelt with two e's uh, a strain famous for slimming behaviour and I loved a little illustration of like a tortoise On the back of a, like a snail on the back of a tortoise that's going really slow, and the snail's like exclaiming, wee, as it goes along. I just, I just love that. It's such a a quick joke, but really fun. Um, And then, of course, Oscar says, My question is, which way do I try to get it in her? And Michael says, I don't need any details. (laughs) And Oscar says,
1: Maybe I'll put it in her brownie. (laughs)
0: Which Michael just goes, Hey. Uh, once again, the sh-
2: one of the more disgusting jokes of the episode.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The show kind of getting away with a level of vulgarity that I guess if, if you didn't quite understand what that conversation was about, uh, once again, you know, people misunderstanding what the word afternoon delight mm-hmm. means, um, it leads to that little confusion there. Um, uh, and I, of course, I love Tobias uh, when he has his bandage on and he's, he's screaming at the top of his voice, I got blown. Uh, usually he just uh, blues himself so it's interesting that he got blown by someone else Uh, and this is where Lindsay decides that she's going to go to the the office party um, with George Michael Um, and then we see uh, Lucille and Oscar and obviously I love how when Oscar goes to get more brownies he just kind of piles them up in his hand like, haphazardly. He doesn't bother with a, <laughs> doesn't plate. a plate. Yeah, he doesn't bother with a plate. He just has <laughs> them stacked up on top of each other. Uh, and when he returns, uh, Lucille has kind of vanished. Um, and I, I love the look on Jeffrey Tambor's face as he just kind of looks around the room going, where did she go? As if he's going to suddenly see her emerge from somewhere. Um, and then, obviously, once we get to the uh, the the office party uh job has decided to uh get into the banana suit uh which as (laughs) as he gets out of the taxi he's like sure the guy in the 600 hundred dollar banana suit come on and i just (laughs) love even in the banana suit he's like boasting about its value which just doesn't make any sense but it's a great end cap to that gag yeah yeah uh and then obviously this is where job kind of uh uh, you know, decides that it was a good idea for him to go to Tarzana and get the banana suit out of storage. Now, this banana suit will make a reappearance in Season 3, uh, but this is actually the first time that we've we've seen this suit. And I'm not quite sure why it's constructed like an actual banana. Like, it has an, act- like an actual set of outer layers that remove, like, a banana skin. And that seems like way too much detail for, like, this kind of mascot suit. <laughs> um... But I like that they...
1: Whoever made it was just all about verisimilitude.
0: Yeah, well, I like that they went to the extra detail, and of course it sets up a wonderful joke in a second, but it just seems slightly (laughs) unnecessary. You could have just had this...
1: That's why it's $600.
0: (laughs) quality. Yeah. You know, Job, having wearing these two layers in Orange County, even in December, he has to lose a layer. Uh, And so he just takes the banana skin off and leaves it on the floor. Um, And, you know, Michael... Uh, he sees he sees um, you know uh, that Lindsay and George Michael have arrived Uh, and I love how how, as he tells maybe this (laughs) Lindsay's like look at them over there with their little secrets (laughs) the secret is just him saying that they've arrived and it's like such a kind of (laughs) such a kind of weird thing to get mad about you know Lindsay (laughs) having not seen all of the the karaoke from the previous night uh, Lindsay decides that this is a good time for her to uh, make the same mistake that her brother did and she decides to do some karaoke uh, and I love how Tobias is there and he just seems to scream at some random person that's my wife and nephew we have an open relationship <laughs>
1: Now, is that. do you suppose it was him trying to hit on that woman, or if he just volunteers that information to everyone? I don't know.
0: I think he's got a head injury, and I, I don't know why he made that choice to tell this person, but he just kind of does.
2: Well, that's the, the, the amazing thing about Tobias. It could be mm-hmm. any explanation, and it would fit his character. He might be trying to hit on her, he might just have a head injury, or he might just be offering that information just <laughs> to offer it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and of course... You know, the narrator tells us that uh, Lucille arrives craving a frozen banana and the effects of Lindsay and George Michael's afternoon delight was overshadowed by the effects of Oscar and Lucille's afternoon delight. Um, and then obviously Tobias can't get out of the way, so he kind of gets knocked over. And I love how Lucille, who in, in the previous, uh, in season one, she was basically called the world's worst driver. Uh, she just runs over Tobias and keeps on going. Uh, And this is this is the second time in this series that Tobias has been run over by someone. Um, So he just (laughs) seems to keep getting hit by cars, basically. Uh, And then obviously, you know, Job gets trapped uh, as the as the car tries to come to a stop. It it hits upon the gigantic banana peel and it traps Job inside. uh, He's basically a banana inside the banana stand. (laughs) So it's kind of a, a lot of bananas inside bananas. Uh, and i like lucille's very relaxed you know uh, hey mikey relax it's just a giant banana um <laughs> which i don't know i don't know how that's an explanation for anything um, and then obviously this is where buster playing on the claw machine all day um comes into to hand because that really pays yeah off. he uh, <laughs> he screams i got you brother and he jumps into the cab of uh, the 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 uh, crane that was used to lift the banana out of the banana stand out of the water at the start of the episode um and as he picks up job i'm guessing job exposes himself to everyone because everyone starts laughing uh and it doesn't appear like he's wearing anything underneath that banana uh and and i love how job keeps saying they're laughing with me michael they're laughing with me um when obviously they're not uh, and then the narrator lets us know that Buster's newfound skills do not involve lowering gently. And he just drops Job. Um, and obviously Tobias, underneath the car, says... Hey, it's Tobias. Who wants to take me to the hospital? Uh, which I think is like the third time so far in, in the run of this show that he's had to go to the hospital. And then, you know... The father and son reunite at the end of the episode. And this is one of my favorite ways for episodes of um, Arrested Development to finish with, uh, you know, with Michael and George Michael kind of um, getting together. And they do they do this a few times in the first season. Uh, But I think this is the first time in the second season they've kind of done this uh, as they start to kind of, um, you know, uh, put the banana stand back together. Uh, uh, And George Michael kind of Michael starts doing it by himself. But George Michael volunteers to help. Uh, Which I think is kind of nice, because obviously at the start of the episode, he was trying to force his son to take part in this ritual. uh, Whereas by the end of the episode, Judge Michael's kind of doing it willingly. Um, And, you know, Michael kind of apologises for for how he's been acting towards uh, Anne. uh, And then they both (laughs) kind of start singing. (laughs) afternoon delight <laughs> and michael says it's just stuck in their does heads. not seem like it would be that dirty and george michael's like it is catchy uh <laughs> and i love how that's the excuse they offer of like oh yeah it's a catchy song so of course the kind of weird overtones <laughs> doesn't really uh make any <laughs> difference um and then we get a very short on the next where the narrator tells us the blue man group finally calls for tobias with a life-changing opportunity Unfortunately, he can't hear it and his life stays the same. <laughs> uh and that is kind of like such a great way to finish this episode with this being the point when Tobias after all those weeks of painting himself head to top in blue, uh now it, like the chance comes and and he isn't even there to receive the uh, the message. Um
1: and it's interesting that uh, it shows how omniscient the narrator is, uh, that he's able to know that it would change his life yeah. forever
0: from that moment, <laughs> that he can see alternate timelines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, the, I mean, there's something which we've kind of passed over, but there are a few kind of callbacks to previous episodes where um, Lindsay is reading a copy of Poof magazine, uh, the magazine for magicians. <laughs> um, and uh, amongst the alcohol that Job steals, there is some cloud mirror. Uh, in there, which, of course, Lindsay Lindsay once promoted. Um, And actually, it's worth noting that the change machine does actually have a sign that says it can only return um, up to uh, $10 worth of quarters. So Buster basically loses $90 uh, getting that change. (laughs) Which I guess is kind of emblematic of the whole kind of, uh, you know, blue largesse and the fact that they don't seem to have any idea of of how much... uh, you know, money uh, is worth. There is also a, a Blue Man Group advert somewhere near the... If you When they're at the gas station, it's just kind of like next to where maybe is when she comes out with the, the food uh, for the, the run to get Oscar. Yeah, so, you know, there's quite a few kind of little background jokes uh, going on. Uh, but is there anything else that you guys wanted to discuss about this episode?
2: Uh, well, not necessarily this episode, but just one of the things I've always really loved about this show... Was the the discoveries that came out of it with regards to unknown actors? I mean, half the cast had been established in plenty of other stuff, but guys like uh, Michael Sarah and uh, Will Arnett and Tony Hale seemed to come out of nowhere, and they're all brilliant. Particularly Tony Hale, who's like the secret weapon of comedy. Yeah, and so that was one of the things I always admired about it was that it brought you know some some of the, such great new faces onto the comedy scene
0: yeah and it's weird because obviously you know um julie louis dreyfus appears on like four episodes of arrested development and i don't think in any of that time i I think there's like one tiny brief scene where she's talking about the grilled cheese sandwich with tony hale and that's kind of like the only time the only time that they kind of interact is literally about 30 seconds in one episode um so that they would then like end up later on being on so many episodes together of uh veep it's quite interesting to just see that one little interaction is uh, kind of you know where where they ended up
1: <laughs> yeah i have to say this is still one of my favorite episodes and i don't think it's just the um nostalgia from it being my first episode i think it is a truly great episode one of the top five yeah
0: and i, th- I think it works because uh you know um even though I kind of feel like the you know the, the the stuff with the suits is kind of just like a little running joke, and the stuff with Lucille and kind of Oscar mm-hmm. and Buster, you know these are all kind of little small kind of B plots, but they all really do tie to the main A plot of the uh, the Christmas party, and it's rare that this show just does kind of one big plot and has everything tied to it, but this is one of those episodes where everything does tie to the Christmas party, you know even Oscar's mm-hmm. quest, you know ends up kind of impacting on the second christmas party you know there's a there's a lot of different kind of moving parts but it, it it kind of demonstrates how well uh the writers of arrested development could basically take five or six different little plots and kind of weave them together um and it, it is really one of the one of the best episodes the,
2: the intricate farcical nature of the plotting on the show was second to none
1: absolutely sorry I, I think it says a lot about this episode that uh even when it was the first one i watched i could tell everything i needed to know about almost every character <laughs> yeah. just from this just from this episode
0: so if there's nothing else to say about this episode i think we will go to uh plugs uh and i'm going to start with uh with michael uh
1: well i am also in addition to being a podcast magnate i am also a author you can find some of my stuff at www.michaelmrader.com and you can also find me on twitter at michael m raider great
0: stuff and jesse
2: the podcast i was doing ended this year and then my next one will be launching early next year uh but in the meantime people can find me on instagram and, and twitter just as uh jesse whitehead
0: great stuff thanks to both of you for joining me today thank you
2: thanks for having us and
0: otherwise uh goodbye